Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. Or afternoon. Ah, still morning. Uh, so, when I go away on summer break... I usually get a sense pretty quickly of at least one thing that I need to focus on personally, uh, something I need to think about for me. And this summer I told Gail that I was grieving some of the, the loss of some very special connections and interactions with people who don't believe like I believe. Uh, I can't remember a year or a season in my life like this last one with so few opportunities to share my faith, to bring Christ to people in some way uh, who don't know him. Maybe they're skeptical. And there's a host of reasons for this, and you all experienced them yourselves. We were just more isolated uh, by necessity. And a number of the natural connections that were in my life with people who don't know Christ were, were, were you know, disappeared. Uh, I was a part of two gyms, and I had folks in both of those that were at least something every day I could count on as an opportunity for God to potentially do something, you know. And they were taken away, and then... Uh, the culture and the political and the moral climate, of course, created a lot of static. And along with the isolation, then came this, came a, came a sort of uh, emotional disconnect. It wasn't just a physical disconnect with people. There was kind of an emotional disconnect. We didn't even know how to connect to people, you know. And then we all had to deal with personal adjustments in our lives at the same time, and that became the focus. Uh, and then that word we're all sick of, pivoting. Um, and so it affected us, definitely me, physically, psychologically, uh, socially, emotionally, for sure. I mean, all of us probably could use a little counseling right now. But I wonder... Um, and this was part of my reflection, how has it affected me spiritually? All that stuff going on. I think that's worth reflecting on. And maybe if I put it a different way, you'll, you'll see that. Um, is what has happened and is happening to us, around us and in us, disconnecting us further from our mission, from the mandate of our Lord to share him with others? And furthermore, is being off mission making us even more vulnerable to the madness. So along with the rest of the world, we're losing our minds along with our mission and our purpose. I think they're related. And it's possible that being on mission would help us regulate the internal and emotional chaos and keep us, maybe, from going completely nuts. So to examine this, I think the text I read to you earlier, Psalm 126, puts these two things together in a way that I have found incredibly fascinating and has hit right in that spot I was itching when I left. So if you're feeling off, you're kind of, I mean, I can say you're actually in the right place to address this issue and doing it together because I don't think you could do it alone. I think doing it together in the sanctuary, uh, corporate setting, as they would have read the psalm together, 
and interacted and sung it together. It would have been an opportunity for them to get their bearings, to recalibrate with others as they sat before God, answered this question that we're, that we're asking. Now, Psalm 126 has six verses in it, and it breaks up nicely into two parts. And it's nice to see the whole text every now and then, even though it's kind of too small to read. I just want the yellow to pop to you because the, the, you got the first three verses. This is why it breaks up so nicely, and then the second three. And uh, the dominating theme is joy, not just any kind of joy. Uh, so they're filled with laughter, shouts of joy, we're glad, shouts of joy, shout, shouts of joy. So on both halves of the psalm, so it's the dominating theme. And the joy grows in intensity. And what he's describing here, as you'll see, is a really healthy emotional state. That includes a broad range of highs and lows, as you'll see. Felt more intensely. The highs and lows are felt more intensely because you know God, and I, I want you to see why that's true. Because God's in your life, you feel things at a deeper level and a higher level. So your highs and lows are more intense because you know him, because he's in your life. And they'll drive those, that emotional state will drive your daily life and keep you hopeful about the future. So to approach life the way the psalmist is here, life with God can rec regulate your well-being, govern your highs and lows, and something other than the world dictate your sanity. So verses 1 to 4, if we'll see how this works. Verses 1 and 4 are very similar. And the only difference between them is past and present. So the prayer is very similar on both sides. So if you put them together, you see, when the Lord restored, this is in the past, the fortunes of Zion, this little phrase, all over the prophets, the Old Testament, an image of what it felt like for people to return from exile back to their homeland, back to Zion, sort of the, the big, powerful spiritual name for all that God had given them in the life that they lived together. In fact, we were like those who dream. But here, he says, restore our fortunes. This is future. Now, this is imperative. This is sort of reflective. This is imperative. It's an imperative tense. God, we're asking you to do it again. There's more restoring to do. All the restoring isn't over. And do that not like dream, but like streams, like streams in the Negev, which is the desert, like streams in the desert. So you have this, seems that God has already done it, and we're asking him to do it again. Uh, so in the first one, they reflect on their past. So it... <laughs> You only have joy in the first part. There, there's, there's no pain up here. The only pain is when they were in exile. So you have this, this joy is the kind of joy you can only experience if God comes in your life and takes you out of bondage. So they reflect on that. There was a time when they were in much despair. Before this joy came in the first half of this psalm, there was a great despair when they went into exile. Remember, the kingdom was divided into north and south, Israel and Judah. Judah fell in 586 B.C. Babylon came in, destroyed the temple. That's where the temple was, Zion. That's where the land 
that, that, that was the special sacred place. So when it fell, it was like everything else fell, all your hopes and dreams, because God's promises were tied to an actual geographical location. If you're not in the location, you don't have the blessing. You don't have the promise. The land was critical. So if you take the land, well, you just, you just took away every hope I could possibly have for my life, my family, my world. And that's what happened to them. Babylon invaded, laid waste to everything, the city, the temple, the land, the towns. They left, no, left nothing unturned. They didn't just destroy the places and people. They literally destroyed the land too. They, they dug up all the work that had been done. There was no life in the prophets. I went through and read some of the prophets in the history books as they described that day. And it's unbelievably devastating. It was the end of life and possibility. Psalm 137 says they lost their song. No music. Can you imagine? No music. No, nothing to sing about in your life is the idea. It's a miserable place. Music's so special. I don't know if you've seen, this is just kind of funny, but I saw it not long ago. Uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short do this little singing thing together. Uh, and um, Steve Martin wrote a song, plays the banjo too, called Atheist Ain't Got No Songs. And it is funny when he sings it. I don't know if he's an atheist or not, but he sings about the reality. There's nothing to sing about. There's no spiritual thing to sing about. So the kind of laughter and the kind of joy he's talking about here, what I want to describe to you is the only, it's, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotional high that, that, you can only experience if God rescues you from bondage. It's not available any other way. So it's, it's like setting a whole new emotional level for, for people who know him. Their emotions will never operate the same again because of it. So they were traumatized, and then all of a sudden this great moment comes. Uh, and the best text to give you to, to really get the feeling of how devastating things were is um, Jeremiah. Let's see if I can find that for you. I know I have it here somewhere. Where is it? Uh, no, actually, that's not true. I actually am just going to read this one to you. Listen to this. Jeremiah describes it like this. I looked on the earth. This is after the devastation. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was without form and void. That's exactly what it says in Genesis before God created. The prophet Jeremiah interprets the devastation as if creation was uncreated, as if God had not acted to create anything. It was that devastating. The heavens had no light. That's uncreation. The mountains quaked. Hills went, moved back and forth. I looked, behold, there was no man. There was no human beings. There were no birds of the air. They had all fled. That, this is uncreation, basically. I looked, behold, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord's fierce anger. I, I have no way to visualize that. Uh, I did happen to watch a movie. I don't usually watch end of the world movies because they're just too emotionally devastating for me. Like, you know, they're just too overwhelming. And so uh, I get no joy out of watching the movie because it's just devastation. And I did happen to watch Greenland, if you haven't seen that. Uh, actually, a good movie on top of the fact that uh, you get a little sense of the emotion and the horror and the devastation of everything just crumbling right before your eyes. Very healthy, something I would do before I started the week, if I were you. Uh, yeah, I'd go ahead, just jump right into that today. Skip football, jump right to Greenland. All right. But then God rescues them and gets them back to Zion. It's like, you got to be kidding me. How did this happen? 
He restores the land, the promises, and the hope. And they say it was like a dream. It was like we were living. Wait a minute. This, this is reality, but it feels like a dream. Just completely, almost impossible to believe. And it's as if they're saying that the beginning point of their hope and their, their emotional level and their sanity actually came about when God did this incredible thing in our lives and took us out of bondage. But the New Testament describes as salvation for us. So God's action on their behalf to save them sets a whole new emotional level for them. It raises the bar on joy. Whatever joy they had ever known is now at a whole new level set in our lives. And I want you to just do this for a second because this is what I think the psalm is asking you to do. Think about the day you gave your life to Christ and the difference it made. The trajectory it set your life on. I go back to when I was in high school and I'm about to be 58 and I was 14. And there is just absolutely no way to wrap my arms around what my world would have been like if that had not happened that summer. I can't even imagine. And whether you've been following Christ for one day or 40 years, it only takes a day to set your life into a whole trajectory that you did, you wish you hadn't gone on. But the moment he comes in your life, you start making decisions that set you on a different path. And you got to reflect back on that and go, who and what would I be without him? And this is what begins to set that emotional level of joy. It brings something about in you, a kind of happiness, a kind of peace, something deep inside. And, of course, verse 2 and 3 tell you, I mean, that they felt uh, God's done great things. Uh, and even people in our lives noticed it. You know, when you first give your life to Christ, people notice it. And they say, man, God's done something for them, something great for them. And then he's really done great things for us. So they reflect on how others felt about it, how we felt about it. It was just a great day. And so now this baseline of joy has been set. But that's only the beginning, according to this psalm. And it sets off an emotional spectrum that I could not have possibly known unless God had come into my life. So this is, we're talking about an emotional reality for human beings that can only know if they know Christ, if God is in their life. That actually gives you purpose and hope for the future, which the only hope for the future is him. And so if you don't have him in your life, you can't have that either. It's just... And so here they are back in the, what feels like a dream, back in... Uh, the presence of God and the promises. And then verse 4. But they're not done dreaming. They're, they're not done. They get back and um, you come to verse 4. And now they ask God, hey God, do it again. Um, restore again. What are they saying? Of course, now we're going to get into the figurative language of the psalm and essentially understand that when they came back from exile and back into this land of promise, a lot of their friends, family, and loved ones didn't come. There were a lot of people that mattered to them. Plus, they had made new friends in Babylon after 70 years. And it's breaking their heart that they're not experiencing this dream of having been rescued from bondage and in the promise of God. And so in Psalm 14, 7, you have this text that says, uh, Oh, that salvation would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the, future, the fortunes, when he restored our fortunes, Zion would then be a headquarters of more restoration, more salvation, more redemptive work of God. If we could just... Ask God and let him now, instead of just bringing us back into this incredible thing, using us to reach more people. 
That's what he's talking about. And they pray, God, we pray Zion. Salvation will now come out of Zion when he restores our fortunes. Because of what you did for us, God, maybe you can do it for some others that we love and know and have come to know. That's the so the deep joy that they experience now impacts the mission. You can't experience this high emotional state of having come to know God and it not sets you on a mission. It's a joy that sets you on a mission, but not just a mission, something else. Because this prayer, he's going to tease out with two agricultural images that will become figurative for people. And the mission and what it looks like to fulfill that mission. And the first image is the one that's up here. Like streams of the Negev, which is the desert. Judah is the south. And whenever you live in the world, when you say the south, you mean the hot place. You mean the dry, arid place. Um overwhelming heat, barren. And so this is the south. This is the, if you lived in Judah, you would say, yeah, we're the south. Dry, hot. And in certain seasons, all of the reservoirs in the ground, in the land, where water would normally be, just sort of blot the land, like, you know, riverbeds just look like gullies that just sort of scar the land. And these other reservoirs that would get water, you know, from the mountains when it rained hard and they would fill up. And when it did rain, when it did rain, I mean, it would be torrential, literally. They would all fill up. They would overflow. It was a powerful force. But literally overnight, it could create fruitfulness and hope and growth. And it did. Old Testament writes about it. And so what they're essentially saying is, Lord, we're asking you to do something like that here. We can't bring the rain. We're not in charge of rain. We know only you can do it. We know you, only you can fill the dry gullies in people's lives. Do you see the metaphor? The metaphor is a metaphor for people. Only you can fill those empty places in the dry, arid, scarred, Hearts, only you can do that. So we're asking you to send rain, just something miraculous. Because it's something that we know, heart transformation only he can do. So everyone who's experienced this incredible joy knows only God can change your heart, only God can do it. That's the reason they pray, verse 4. Hey, let's ask him to do it again. Only he can do it. We need a miracle. And it's always a miracle when somebody gives their life to Christ. It's always a miracle. And everybody who knows Christ knows it's a supernatural work. None of us could pull it off. It's beautiful when it happens. And it happens like seemingly overnight, like a, in a torrential rain. And all of a sudden, there's new life and new fruit and new hope. And in fact, it's Eden-like. Listen to this. Listen to Isaiah 51.3. He says this. You're going to love the way he describes life here. Because the prophets anticipated this day. The Lord is comforting Zion. This is after the exile. He comforts them. All her waste places, all those gullies, dry, arid, blotches on the land, and makes her wilderness or her desert like a garden again. It's, you go from uncreation to creation. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. And here comes that joy and gladness. You can only know it when God turns your wilderness into an Eden. You cannot know this joy any other way. Nothing else will fill the reservoirs in the same way of your life. Nothing else will do it. And there will be thanksgiving and look, and a song 
And it's the kind of song you can't sing unless you know. It's just a whole new emotional world. That's the first image. God, you're going to have to do a miracle. But there are more people who need to be restored, God, than just us. No one who experiences that joy is content to have it all to themselves and not think about other people. And so comes the second image, the second agricultural image. Verse 5. After you come to God and you say, God, you're going to have to do the work because you're going to have to bring the rain because we can't bring that. There's something in this, Lord, only you can do. But those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. (laughs) Here comes the second image, and this is a sowing. Uh, And now you're going to experience a new emotion. It's a new, but it's a low. It's lower than anything you've ever felt. See, once you've experienced the high, which you can only know if you know God, you don't experience the low, which you can only know if you know God, and that's the low of knowing that other people don't have what you have. So you have the high that comes from him, and you have the low from knowing him. That's why the highs and lows are more intense, because you know what it's like to have God. That's the greatest joy. But you also know what it's like not to have him. That's the greatest low. Do you see it? He's setting your highs and lows all over in this psalm. And it's all tied to what God did for you and your heart for other people and the mission. So you sow with tears. You weep. The joy gives way to tears and sadness. There's no other way around it. If you have that high, you're going to have this low. And by the way, if you don't have that low, may not have the high or something's wrong. Stay with me. When the Israelites returned home, it was a mess. Imagine how devastated the land was and then imagine it being overgrown and nobody touching it for 70 years. Nobody tilled, nobody grew anything, nobody did anything. Just left unkept. The amount of work you talk about waking up from a dream, so then, oh, we're home, we're home. And then devastation. Look how much work is before us. You're like, hey, God, you took us from this huge high and you dropped us down and put us to work. Now we got to work. Now we got to sow. We got to farm. Overwhelming amount of work. I have a little bit of a sense for this. Uh, I don't know what your yard looks like, uh, but I got a lot of this going on in my front yard. I got a lot of it going on. And I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't have a green thumb. I don't, I don't know what to plant. You know, our house faces north, so that probably eliminates God knows how many plants. And I don't know which ones they are. And left to myself, I'll go plant something that should have been planted on the south side. And so I'll mess this up. And so it's been a little overwhelming because my whole yard, that side and this side, looks just like this. And uh, I have no problem with the hard work. I have no problem pulling it all out. I have no problem planting other things. I just don't know what to put in their place. And it's stalled me. Uh, Gail keeps saying, are we going to do anything about this? And I go, I think so. I think we're going to do something about it. But I just don't know when. I have a friend, I have a, I have a really good friend who's a landscaper. And uh, Jimmy Bell, we talk twice a week. Good friends. Jimmy loves our church. He loves me. He won't touch it. <laughs> he won't touch it. He goes, because I know it's going to happen. You're going to kill anything I put in there, and I can't handle it. Because f- fake things die. In, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our yard. And so when he prays for me, he doesn't pray for me, he prays for the yard. He just prays for the yard. So I'm sitting here, I find myself doing a little bit of what I can't imagine they had to face. 
what are we going to do here? This is going to take a lot of work. And on top of that, there was opposition. It wasn't when they got back that it was just, hey, let's get to work. Remember Nehemiah says they had to have weapons in one hand and, and tools in the other? They had to work, but they also had to fend off opposition as if nobody else wanted us to accomplish this. In other words, make the place a place of salvation again. And so what happens is, and you learn here, it turns out that reaching people with the gospel is hard work. It's like farming. It's hard work in any climate and any culture. It was hard work for them. Let's make this place worth coming out of Babylon for. It seems impossible. Same way it feels for us right now in our culture. What's the odds of really reaching people today? It seems impossible to reach anyone. And the culture, rather than God, is dictating not only our emotional lives, but our mission. We're emotional wrecks, and we're off mission. And so rather than weep, rather than weep, we're angry. We're harsh, cynical, critical. We love to point out dry riverbeds and overgrown spaces. We love to call that a desert. Yeah, that's a desert. No water in that, never will be. We attack the opposition, not even asking God to fill the holes anymore, let alone plant, let alone sow seed. And perhaps, it's very likely, I, you give up on the hard work of reaching people. That's, that's dangerous for your emotional sanity, as this text is telling you, and for the mission. There's a kind of joy, as we get, bring this home to you, there's a kind of joy that produces tears. See, these are not just tears because it's hard work. It's partly there's tears and sorrow because it's just hard work. It's just really hard. But it's also because we care about people. And there's a kind of joy that God gives you up here in verse 1 when he rescues you that makes you sad for other people. But if this joy has been replaced with anger, then you won't have this joy. And if you don't have this, you won't have this weeping. You won't have this low. If you don't have the high, you don't have the low. And if you don't have the low, you don't have the hope of future joy with the reaping. And so you lose hope and expectation. And so you spiritually have lost your highs and lows. And something else is governing your emotions. So badly that you're not on mission anymore. You haven't dropped a seed in who knows how long. You can't anticipate any reaping because you haven't done any planting. This is kind of how I've been feeling. So we become hopeless, angry, we withdraw from the world. And unless we start reflecting on what God did for us and has done for us, our hearts are hardened as opposed to break. They're supposed to break, but now they're hardening. And so here's the question, really. Here's the question of the psalm. Are you happy enough with God? To be moved to tears? To weep? To care? 
be compassionate for people? Because if you're not feeling that, it's very likely there's some, the joy has leaked. Because this kind of joy allows us to take on the hard work of, of the sorrowful work of people's lives who are barren and arid, and it is. It's hard work. But you've got to enter the barren lives of people. So the psalmist says you've got to remember what God has done for you because that will dictate your emotional highs and lows. Not society in its failures and woes. It's the only way to keep our sanity and fulfill the mission. The text is essentially doing this. I hope you see it. Uh, it's essentially doing this. It's created this emotional high and low force. It's, it's setting our emotions. Uh, and our emotions are forcing us to have effort. So there's a kind of emotional world that God has created in us now because he's in our life that, that produces effort. The, the farming mentality is so. You've got to get out there and sow and do the work. And then that effort creates an expectation of hope that God will bring in the sheaves. And it, it assumes that he will if we'll do the work. And the expectation of hope. And if this, if, if this isn't right then we're not putting forth the effort and we don't have the hope. And where does that put you? That makes you, that makes you a nut, spiritually speaking. So if you lose the joy of your salvation, you won't work. You get off the mission. If you're not trying to reach people, then there's no possibility of future joy. When I, was, uh, when I first got a ministry job, I was a youth pastor, and uh, the insurance that we were covered with was uh, through the Cattlemen's Association. And you take a Florida boy and you put him in Texas, you go, I assume everything's called Cattlemen's around here. I didn't know what that meant at all. Well, it turns out that uh, if you're a part of the Cattlemen's Association and they were, the, all of our staff were in that, um, You'll get periodically something in the mail that forces you to fill out a form to ask you what you're, what you're farming because it assumes you're a cattleman. I don't know if you know me very well. So uh, I remember tackling filling out this very, very thick form at the time. And you had to go through and they wanted to know every little single thing about your crops and animals. And I remember going, I gotta fill, I remember filling some of it out and then absolutely coming across a statement that I had missed early, which usually happens when you're filling out these crazy forms, that says, if you have not done any farming, just on the outside of the envelope, stick this in an envelope, and on the outside of the envelope, all you have to write is never farmed. Exclamation point. And I remember being so relieved. I don't have to fill out this booklet. And I went, never farmed. Well, you know why they're so smart? Because they assume that if you have not farmed, you have no crops. And you have no animals. That's a safe assumption. You have no fruit, no produce. That's essentially what the psalm is assuming. If you haven't put any work in, then you can't have any expectation of God changing anybody's lives because you haven't do, been doing the planting. So there's no hope of a more intense joy, which there's no joy like seeing someone else come to Christ because of your influence. That joy's gone now. So now you've lost joy on both sides because you've never farmed. I can tell you this. I never showed up at my house Wondering if I had any produce growing in the yard. <laughs> you can see my yard. Nothing would have lasted anyway. Even if I had farmed, I'd have no produce. But at least you know, you never show up going, I wonder if I have some organic eggs in the backyard. <laughs> I wonder. 
No, you never wonder that. You know why? Because you never farmed. So you're never ever sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for something to grow like farmers do because you haven't sown anything. And that's a sad place for a believer to be. It's not in the emotional spectrum of where God is calling us. So your anger or your fear over and shaped by culture will not produce the expectation of a harvest and thus not the joy that comes with it. And so spiritually speaking, I think it's safe to say it's actually healthy to be bipolar. You got to have these highs and lows in your life. You got to have the high of what God has done in your life and you got to have the low that it produces when other people don't have what you have. That's a healthy spiritual life because you're going back and forth between joy and sorrow. Joy for what God's done for you. Sorrow for what he still has to do. That's the laugh. That's the weeping and the laughing. And the weeping leads to laugh. This is the kind of joy that, that leads to laughter. And then he intensifies it with this final verse right here. This is what he says. He's going to say it again. He's going to repeat it as if to say, let me make this crystal clear. He who goes out weeping. Now he's going to say, what are you doing out there? You're not just sowing anymore. Now let's make it clear. We're, we're planting seed. This, literal, this word right here means it's carrying. Carrying seed for sowing. Shall come in home with shouts of joy, a new kind of joy. This is not the same joy as up here. This is a new intense kind of joy that only comes when you come home with something. And this time you're carrying sheaves, which was when I was in high school. This is Kirk's favorite verse, by the way. And so Psalm 126.6, he's signed in my Bible when I was young. I've seen the verse. I know the verse. Back then when I was in high school at 14, I go, what's a sheave? You know. It's basically produce or wheat, but in this text, it's people. If you don't carry seed with you everywhere you're going, you never bring home sheaves because it just doesn't happen unless you farm. There's no produce. And I love the idea here. Schaefer said this, uh, a commentator on this. He said, tears are the first irrigation of the farming. Then comes the rain. You want God to bring the rain? Sow with tears. Scatter seed. Sometimes you'll sprinkle it. Sometimes you'll put a lot out. Sometimes it'll, you'll dump it. Sometimes you'll dump your whole bag in one particular situation. But if you're not even carrying the bag, if no seed's going out, then you have nothing. I happen to be in Aspen, and of course I'm living this world, and God is destroying me on the inside because of it. And I'm in uh, with Oscar in Colorado. He's got a job that he does there, and he's got employees, and a couple of them live in the house where we stay. And one of them is uh, a 38-year-old guy who's been married 12 years. And I've known her from other times that I've stayed there. Uh, and so I'm in the back room, and they had all come home from work, and she's crying. And she had just gotten off the phone with her husband. And I can hear them talking out there, but of course it's not my place to get involved, but she's uh, going through a really hard time in her marriage. He's at home, and she's there. And a little while later, Oscar invites me in to this conversation. He says, hey, Pete, do you think you could speak into her a little bit? And I said, of course, I'll sit in. And I listened to her story about 90 minutes. And I got to listen to her story, and I got to, uh, I'm sure she divulged some things that she probably hadn't told anyone. And then I, I got to listen, and then I got to speak into it. I got to tell her some things about, you know, some thoughts for, for her husband, but I also had to say some hard things to her. And she probably hadn't heard that before either. When it was all said and done, I was able to do something I hadn't really done in a long time, share Christ through my marriage and say, hey, I know exactly what you're going through. None of this is unique to your marriage. 
But if you have Christ in the center of your life and your wife cares about what Christ thinks and you care about what Christ thinks, it really does impact how you approach each other. So I told her what Christ had done for me and how specifically he works in my marriage. And when we're done, we got to stand up and pray. And she was so grateful. She, you could see on her face crying. And, I, and I, we just prayed and a seed has been planted. And I don't know what's going to happen, but at least there's something to hope for. I don't know what God can do with it. Oscar, you know, she's back in Miami now, and they can, Oscar, you know, has the opportunity to continue playing seed, but at the end of the day, you just, you just hope now. If you don't plant the seed, you don't, you don't get the hope. Uh, so let me ask you this. When was the last time... You were looking out like a farmer. Boy, I hope something happens there. I hope a conversation happens today. I hope, hope this goes further. I've planted a seed. Wondering if there might be a harvest. Maybe we're doing more moaning than planting. Because if you're not planting, you're off mission. And there's no hope of anything. You could just see how you could just be an emotional wreck spiritually. COVID has complicated this, I know. But I don't think God would say, hey, during COVID, no seed planting. Keep the gospel out of everything because it's not a good time. I mean, people are, people are dying. Don't bother people with the gospel. I told you about that single mom a few months, I mean, a little while before I left. I had run into her. She, my, my son Nick moved and sold her a couch, and we dropped it off, single mom with children at this apartment building, and that was, that was the world I grew up in. My heart ached for her. I went back after we did it, and I just said, hey, I just want you to know if there's anything we can do. I'm, you know, I'm part of a church over here. would love to help you. Reached out to her one other time through text. After that, it was probably not appropriate for me to keep reaching out to her, so I passed her on to Kelly Leach, sort of the single mom guru. And Kelly started reaching out to her regularly, regularly, regularly. Nothing. No response. No response. It's the hard work of farming. You never know. If it takes so long to see any fruit. And you just, you, you just keep sowing. You keep sowing. You keep calling. You keep texting. You're hoping. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a few weeks ago, Kelly says to me, oh, she called me. She called me. She's coming over to get some of the stuff we have all collected to give her. And I don't know what's going to happen. That's exciting. That's exciting. That trumps everything else going on in the world. Thank you, God, for that refreshing hope. And if you're not getting enough of that, then you're getting sucked into this culture, and it's sucking you dry. So this is where God hit me. Okay, Pete, I've taken away your favorite things, the gyms. So now how are you going to connect to people again? You better be really creative, Pete. You better find some things. An opportunity came up to connect to a local high school around here. And I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to be a part of that. It was, it was a great way for God opened the door for me to be a part of that. I mean, desperate place and a good opportunity for great people. Um, my, I got an email from my uh, HOA in my neighborhood. Um, think about this. You go, I would have never thought of the school. I would have never. An opportunity came up, and you go, I need some connection, so I took it. Here comes this email about HOA. I don't know. I don't even like HOAs. Do you even like HOAs? Don't even like HOAs. So you get emails from HOA, what do you do? You delete that sucker. You don't do anything. You don't even read it. You don't care. Hey, come join us Saturday, September 8th from 2 to 6, the hottest time of the day. Come join us outside. Meet some people you don't know. Uh, and then they describe some stuff. and You go, oh, yeah, this is going to be a blast. I'm out on that. That would be your first comment. If you did open the email, you'd say, I'm out on that. 
And here's God saying, Pete, you need connections? You're going to meet some people there. You need an opportunity to plant. Some of you don't even have a field. We don't even have a field to plant in. God says, I'm, going to, I'm not going to give you gyms. I'm going to give you something else. At the end of the day, I just need you planting. How about this run in the darkness coming up September 18th that some small groups can be a part of? Anybody in this church could be a part of it if they want. But you say, well, I don't run and I don't like the dark. Uh, I, don't, I don't run and I don't like the dark. I'm out. Okay, well, there goes your opportunity. Now, this may not be the one for you, but it may be that God says, this is the one I want you at. Go, go play some games with kids and impact people. Plant a seed. See, if we're not on mission, then we're emotionally vulnerable to anger and fear. But when you're on mission, none of that stuff matters. So right now, let me ask you this. What are your highs and lows? And what's causing them? What are your highs and lows? Is your highest high what God's done in your life? And is your lowest low what he could, what, he's, what, you're, what you're longing for him to do in other people's? Because if you could somehow contain all your other emotions in these two, you'd be a little more stable. You wouldn't be so nuts. But in order to have that high and low, you got to be on mission. So this fall, we're going to get back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to encounter pretty quickly the image of salt and light and what Jesus meant. Right off the bat, what it means to come into the kingdom. And our, our job, our task for the fall be to figure out somehow to keep that mission right in front of our faces. Would you bow your heads? Uh, I just want to say um, to anyone who's sitting here today and your life feels like that, like I got some scars in my heart. I feel like I'm in bondage. I got some reservoirs that aren't filled. I could use some rain that's you today, I would like to invite you to ask Jesus Christ into your life, because that's what I can tell you that that's what happened to me. And it's changed everything. Father, I pray for anyone who's in that condition. For the rest of us who are emotional wrecks largely because of CNN and Fox as opposed to you. Come regulate our hearts, Lord. Keep us on mission. In Jesus' name.